to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. And the last time the message was titled, Does it represent God? Does it represent God? So we're looking at what we were looking at as a first century example of sort of a religious, onerous, burdensome rule about the Sabbath that was, it was sad what was going on and Jesus had to address it. Basically saying, you know, as God the Son, He co-authored the law with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and He um, made the Sabbath to bless people, not for it to be a burden. So 2,000 years later, and you know, I grew up in religion too, and there was all these rules and things to memorize, and I walked away because it was too confusing for me. I didn't understand it. I didn't feel like it was getting me close to God. So sort of the litmus test for does it represent God? And you could take anything. Our church, what do we do? Why do we do it? What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about it? Are we doing it the way he said we should be doing it? So does it represent God is a question that can be asked for many different um, things in, in religion, right? Uh, so today the message is titled, Strive, Don't Be Stopped, because Jesus now gets to a point where he's explaining to the people, they come up again as usual, right? The crowds would follow him and they would have questions. And sometimes these questions were you know, sort of abstract about some person somewhere out there. Um, and Jesus would always bring it back to the questioner and say, but what about you? Instead of questioning where everyone else is with God, and people do that. Sort of the MYOB, the mind your own business principle. What about you? Are you going to heaven? Right? Don't worry about everybody else in the world. Concern yourself. Make sure you're right first. So um, pretty neat stuff. We're going to look at some hindrances. It's kind of neat as Jesus goes through this. And, you know, these, these were his teachings, right? We're going to look at this in four parts. But his teachings were, you know, people would follow him. He would teach a parable. He would explain symbolism. Then there would be a real-life event. He would do a miracle. And then he would kind of speak about that miracle and do an editorial about, on his own miracle and what it meant to the people. And it's kind of a neat thing. If you walked with Jesus... You might even have a hard time following him sometimes. And people do that when they read the Bible. I need somebody to teach me this. I don't get it. And I got to tell you, when I first became a believer, I had such a hunger for God's word, but I didn't understand either. I had to find people who knew more than I did and go to school and learn. And, and, um, but the average person can read the entire Bible and understand it, right? You might not understand the deep theological, um, heady things about predestination and election, but you definitely will understand, what does it mean? How do I get saved? Right? You know, what does God want from my life? Very simple things that we should know. So we're going to jump in in verse 22. And Jesus says, well, actually it says, and he, Jesus, went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, that's pretty interesting. So a person asks a question, but Jesus responds to the entire crowd because it, 
it's germane to all of their situation. He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So one out of four is strive to enter into the kingdom. And again, Jesus was asked this question. Why would somebody ask Jesus that question? Does God not want a lot of people to get into heaven? Does he make it so restrictive that only a few people get in? Of course not. And we're going to explore that. But Jesus, so as he's getting closer to Jerusalem, some of his followers, maybe they came for a free meal, a miracle. My ankle's bothering me. I'm going to go see Jesus. Oh, I could walk again. And people do that with God today. They're like, oh, I prayed and, you know, now I'm fine because the situation has passed. No, God wants a relationship with us. So even in the first century, there were those that used Jesus, and that was fine. He was God the Son. He would do anything for anybody. But that they would leave when some of the teachings became difficult as Jesus was getting closer to Jerusalem. And we just came off Jesus speaking about two parables that seems like there's obstructions to getting in. But we're going to talk about what those obstructions are. They don't come from God. So that was the question that they asked to Jesus. And I believe his desire was to express to them spiritually that there was a virtue vacuum. You've heard the expression today, everybody, virtue signals. I want to go on social media and say how great I am and altruistic. So they, and people even take selfies of themselves helping elderly people off across the street. And that kind of defeats the purpose. But it's all part of social media virtue signaling. But when we stand before God, there's a virtue vacuum. He's righteous. We're not. We're not. So what he was trying to do is even in the Sermon on the Mount, people romanticize, oh, I loved reading it. Well, read it slowly and read the whole thing and see if you're still in love with the Sermon on the Mount because what Jesus taught was we have a deficit and what that was supposed to do was lead us to needing a Savior. So it's a good thing when he's trying to get us to the right treatment, so to speak. The answer is found in verse 24. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. But it actually doesn't have to be difficult. We make it difficult. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. That whosoever is 8 billion people on the planet, it's Catholics, Lutherans, Protestant, Calvary Chapel, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, just believe Jesus has provided that way to salvation. So narrow, let's look at the narrow paradox because Jesus has spoken about the narrow gate before. So here's the understanding of narrow. Number one, it's there's only one way, so it's narrow, right? Today, especially in American culture, you can go into the yellow pages and find a religion that suits your needs. But that's not how it works. I don't want to live a lie. I want to follow the truth. So we're, it's not supposed to be a spiritual smorgasbord. It's supposed to be, I, I want to find the truth and I want to stay in the truth. So narrow is the way because it's through Christ. However, all are welcome. That's an interesting thing. So it's sort of narrow but wide at the same time. Um, I also believe that we make it difficult through distractions today. Then there were distractions. Today there's distractions. And he says to strive through it. So I like to paint myself in a corner and then explain what I'm talking about. The word strive, actually the Greek word is agonizomai. Well, what word do we get from that? Agony. Struggle. It actually was used in sports events, that word, agonizomai. They would struggle, they would agonize to get to the finish line, right? 
Here Jesus is talking about that struggle to get into the, into the gate. But again, there are competing interests and distractions when people find the truth. Sometimes it's their family. Oh, I don't know how my family's going to take this. Sometimes it's their peers. Sometimes the wheels, they know that they should take hold of the truth, but the wheels are already turning about what's going to happen when I leave this church building. Who's going to say what? What are they going to think of? And the machinations cause them not to receive. So we, we make it difficult a lot of times, right? Or some people want it their way versus the only way. Me personally, if I'm going to be getting into God's heaven, I don't mind doing it his way because before I became a Christian, my way didn't get me very far. So um, listen, don't overthink it. It's something that God wants for everybody. It's, it's right here in Scripture. Verse 25, he continues and he says, so here Jesus is, he kind of goes from plain language and he's crossing over to metaphors and symbolism. And now he really hits it hard with symbolism. We have to understand what that symbolism is. Right? What's the key? What are the, you know, what do the symbols represent? He says, once the master or the lord of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. Now understand that there was a cultural issue. There was, if you, if you were in, if God could bring us back in time 2,000 years to Israel, You'd be, it would be like culture shock. And you'd be like, oh, I, I get what they're saying. You know, I read the Bible and now it, it's clear to me. Some people take a trip to Israel and walk through the Holy Land and see some of the artifacts and they, they get a better understanding of even where some of the battles take place and where Jesus taught and the acoustics of the area. And people, like, they come back from Israel like, this, this is the best trip I've ever taken. So, so he, he kind of moves to these metaphors. The second point in all this is resistance from self. So there's three resistances that we're going to talk about. Um, two out of four is resistance from self, and I want to explore this a little bit more. So there was a great Chinese uh, military general type person, whatever. He wasn't a believer. It was before the time of Christ. His name was Sun Tzu, and he wrote the book, The Art of War. And he was trying to teach the art of war. And he said that, you know, it's good to know your opponent when you go into battle because you can win some battles. But he said, it's very important that you know yourself. And we might be, think that and say, well, that's odd. So if I know myself, I could win a, a battle. Let's take this into the spiritual realm, right? We know ourselves. I've lived with this person for 55 years. I know this person better than anybody else. I know what my hang-ups are. I know what my problems are i know what keeps me from good things so to know yourself resistance from self is a big hindrance to having a close relationship with god to be able to explore that and to be able to deal with it effectively and then reach out and take a hold of the lord some people who don't come to christ who keep refusing altar calls um if they're really honest with themselves and they say to themselves and listen there's nothing wrong with self-talk it doesn't mean you're a crazy person 
But you know, when you're alone, say, why, why am I doing this? Why am I acting like this? Why did that bother me? And you, you kind of work through it. If you go for treatment or you go to, for a therapist, what do they do? They ask a lot of questions. They sort of want you to come to some of the conclusions. So to know yourself, right? Let's look at this. 5, verse 25. Once the door is shut. Now this would refer to probably a death unexpectedly. I think I'm in good shape. My blood numbers are good, but who knows? I could go out and get run over by a car and there's the end of Pastor Joe. And I didn't know, right? We don't come with expiration dates. So once the door is shut, it means there's no more chances. Hebrews uh, 9.27 tells us it is appointed for us to die once and then the judgment. There's no do-overs. Once that door being shut, if you understood those old um, you know, kind of homes, they were some heavy, solid doors and it would keep burglars and, and bad people out at night and they'd close the doors so the family could be safe. So there's a little bit of a cultural thing to help you understand that. This could also refer to the rapture or the harpazo of the church. The Lord comes for His saints. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And some maybe have heard the gospel for a very long time and said, well, I'm interested, but I'm, listen, my, my life is very busy. I'm not, I can't do this right now. And then it's it. And the door's shut. We see this in the parable of the ten virgins. There's some crossover here, right? So make the decision today, right? Make the decision now. We have a few hundred listeners on the uh, live stream. It's, you can do it right where you are, sitting in home, in bed, eating your pancakes. You can receive Christ. It's, it's all good. It doesn't matter where you are. Uh, just a, a word on seeking versus striving, and there's two Greek words for that. So, seeking versus striving. I know for me, I grew up in religion. I couldn't follow all the rules. I did wear a crucifix. I thought that meant something. People, whatever. I don't judge anybody. Some people wear it as jewelry. Some people it has sentimental meaning. Could come from a loved one. But probably in my, uh, maybe my 20s, I started, you know, I kind of had walked away and I was, I was really seeking the truth. And I bought all these religious books and I would read through them and pour through them and who were the founders and what did they say and you know, I was seeking. And then I would say, well, this, is, this doesn't really fit, and it's not the truth. Nobody wants to live a lie. I would discard it. And I eventually found Christ. So I'm seeking, 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 and this is what seeking does. And you run into the truth. Here's where the striving comes in. The agonizing of counting the costs. Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to follow this? What if people I love call me a Bible thumper? What if I'm thrown out of my professional establishment? Maybe they'll accept me, maybe they won't. So people strive, they agonize with themselves because God's like, I'm here. (laughs) Jesus opened His arms wide to receive us, but He gave us free will. So the striving, I believe, comes through this, this process of deciding to jump in wholeheartedly. Listen, between the people sitting here and people watching, uh, I know I'm, 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 hitting, I'm hitting something somewhere. I, I sense it. Verse 25, they say, Lord, Lord, open for us. Again, no going back after this life. Remember, uh, well, there's also the parable of the great feast. I don't want to throw too much into this, but you know, we covered a lot of these parables. I taught for a few months just on the parables, and they're very fascinating. But in addition, in John 3.17, this is important. Is there a judgment? Is there a hell? Sure there is. Is there a heaven? Sure there is. Is there an afterlife and beautiful things that God creates? Sure there is. 
However, John 3.17, which comes after John 3.16, that says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him, through Jesus, the world might be saved. You see, I can express to you a reality and you could leave here and say, oh, I didn't like He said the word hell. You know, I don't think I like that type of church. Well, listen, there's a lot of things that we don't like that are, that are they're a reality. But I wanted to quote John 3.17 because God's desire to send His Son, His Son was never sins pure, and He sends Him to take the form of a human being and dies this awful crucifixion death for something He didn't do, and He took the sins of the world on Him. So why send His Son for something that's just, it's just a miserable prospect? But he did it, and I, I read to you the Scripture the last Sunday, for the joy set before him, which is us. He knew he had to die for our sins. So he didn't come and send his son to condemn the world. That you have to take away today. That's important. But that the world through him might be saved. And I believe that every person gets a chance at salvation. They get, um, they're, they're faced with it before they perish. And I, I've seen it happen you know, on deathbeds. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, continuing on, verse 6, he says, they say, well, so this, this sort of symbolic thing, this, this metaphoric kind of story, parable, um, the people say, they're kind of arguing with, with the Lord, right? <laughs> so, isn't that something? And people do that today. I, I've learned the more mature I get in my studies, I don't argue with God about anything because, because if something's wrong between me and him, it's on my end because he's perfect. And he always has my best interests in heart. So verse 26, they go, well, we ate and drank in your presence. Wow. You know, they, well, we saw you do miracles. We, we hung around with the crowd. We were familiar with you. But they were still outside of the door. Right? The Lord doesn't want fans. He wants followers. He wants a relationship with us. What's the sense in giving God scraps and only calling upon Him like we don't know Him, like He's some estranged uh, uncle? We only call on Him when we need Him. That's not what God wants. He wants a relationship with us. So you think about the best relationship that you have with another human being. Could be a child, could be a sibling, could be a parent, could be a best friend. The best relationship and that give and take. Why would God allow us to have... I use a lot of logic. Why would God give us that ability but not also want it for himself and us. But again, he's given us free will. We can give God scraps and then just give everybody else, the other sinners, all the, the relationship and he gets none of it. And that's not what he's looking for. So they were saying, Jesus, we, we were familiar with you. Well, that happens today. People could say, well, I went to church. God, I went to a Calvary chapel. Hey, Pastor Joe could probably vouch for me. <laughs> Don't, don't use that, you know, because it, I, listen, I, I go by myself too. You know who's vouching for me? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Nobody else. I know a lot of good people, but I'm not gambling with anybody else. I'm, I'm going to go with, I trusted in him. I know that he died for my sins. Come and enjoy the joy of the Lord. That's very simple. It's not much. We're going to give you an opportunity uh, after service. It's just where we are in scripture. So, Pretty neat stuff. Verse 27, he says, I don't know you, you workers of iniquity. Now this was also, and again, this is where we can get caught up in doing what the crowd did. But what about them? But what about this person? In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, um, I, I call it phony ministries and phony preachers. 
that there were some that said, oh, we did this in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We, we were, did this. So listen, it isn't just the people sitting in the pews. It's the people behind the pulpit. And there's a greater responsibility on us, right? So um, it, it, it cuts in, in many different directions. So in Matthew 27, I would call that the disingenuous crowd. They don't really want Jesus. They're just, maybe they're making money off of it. There could be a lot of self-aggrandizement, popularity, I don't know, um, versus the resistance crowd. But, and we can get caught up and go, okay, but what if I'm this? Or what if, no, 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 just receive Christ. It's that simple. If Jesus was here today, he'd say the same thing. Just receive me, I'm here. So he is alive, he is risen, he is uh, in a glorified form, and one day he's going to return. And that's what he said he would do uh, 2,000 years ago. Verse 28, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, meaning it's just not, eternity's not a good place if you have rejected. Listen, especially if you've heard the truth over and over again and you keep rejecting it. Don't take a chance, you know. Um, I will just say as well that even those, and, and I say this, those that don't believe in God or they, they have angst against God, they're still enjoying His creation. Now, the creation that we live in currently is in a fallen state because of sin. But think about it, and I've been to the shores maybe 25 minutes from me. I don't go as much as I'd like, but just sit on the beach and watch the waves crashing against the shore. And there's just a certain place, and it can go no further, and it recedes back into the... So that's kind of a beautiful thing to see, a sunset, just sitting out and watching the sun be through the refraction, change colors and things like that. Um, thinking about the dopamine rushes in the brain for something that feels really good and pleasurable. Uh, so e- even today, those that are, well, they claim they're atheists or agnostics, they're still enjoying God's creation. But eventually, that's not going to be available anymore. God is a merciful God. All right? Verse 28 and 29. Now again, some of this really is germane to the first century and there was cultural issues and you know, some of the religious uh, setups that were there, uh, they'll come from the north, south, east, and west. Remember, the gospel message is all-inclusive. Uh, there is, without social media, airplanes, you know, FedEx, and, and all that other kind of stuff, the followers of Christ went into Africa, and there's huge communities in parts of Africa that, that um, you know, they have the artifacts of when they were visited and the gospel was received, India. So when you look at the... When you look at Israel and you look at how far the followers went, they were so on fire for the things of God that they would just keep walking and walking until their feet fell off to find some remote community to tell them about the good news of salvation. So the east, west, north, south, right? The people will come from all over because they received the gospel. But you will be thrust out. Remember, he was also talking to people. There were In the crowd was a mixture. There were those that really wanted to hear There were those that, believe it or not, I'm sure it's not hard to believe, that were trying to find fault with him. Um, They felt they were part of the religious institution. They felt that, you know, he was just getting too much of a following and they were starting to lose followers, but their religious teachings were very burdensome. You know, sometimes we should just look in the mirror before we criticize somebody else. Uh, But what Jesus was saying is you're not going to get into heaven based on privilege, heritage, based on a religious system. Now, when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, what I just said is a true statement, whether you're in the Old or the New Testament. For some reason, uh, certain religions teach these things as if they're true, these certain traditions, but they're found nowhere in Scripture. 
So God did not give His assent to any of these things, right? It's through faith, the Bible says. And then, of course, the last will be first, the first will be last. There's probably just a lot of surprises in heaven, you know. Um, there could be somebody who is inc- incredibly smart on this planet and has chosen to take a life to serve other people. And maybe they don't have nice clothes and maybe they don't have nice money and people wouldn't give them a second look. And then when we get to heaven, they'll be up in the front. The last will be first. The first will be last. How many people jockey for positions in, in the churches? Seriously, this isn't a Fortune 500 company. It's a church. So I just want to get there and enjoy his creation and probably ask a lot of questions because that's just, my mind is always going. Um, but, I, you know, that whole jockeying for position stuff, that works here in this world, but it doesn't work in eternity. And Jesus said, it's just the opposite. He told his disciples, if you want to be great, you be, be a servant. Verse 31, on that very same on that very day, some Pharisees, now these were part of the religious echelon, just like anything else in the world, we always teach, don't stereotype, right? Pharisees, some were very good, some were not good. So there's a mixture. So some Pharisees came saying to Jesus, get out and depart from here for Herod, meaning Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist. He wants to kill you. And he, Jesus, said to them, go tell that fox, <laughs> Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus made so many prophecies about himself and his crucifixion and resurrection, and it's interesting, we we look at everything in, in hindsight, but there were things that Jesus said and people probably scratched their heads. You're at the height of popularity. You can raise the dead. How are you going to be crucified? Well, he gave his life for us, right? And there's a whole uh, legal uh, component to all that. So going back to this, um, three is the resistance from the powerful. Now, some people, and it's funny because I I like to listen to different Bible teachers, and, and they get into these camps. And some say, oh, those Pharisees were trying to pray, play a trick on Jesus. They were trying to get him out of there. And, and then other Bible teachers say, oh, you know, those were the good Pharisees, and they really were genuinely looking out for Jesus. Honestly, does it really matter? Um, I, I subscribe to the latter view, right? So they're, they're warning Jesus that Herod now is taken. Remember, the Herods were, uh, they were political leaders, but they, had, they wanted to be like self-imposed messiahs. So Jesus was doing all this stuff, and there was a jealousy, not only from the religious system, but the political system, and the political, political religious system. Uh, so Jesus says, verse 32, go tell that fox. It's not a compliment. It meant that Herod was a cunning but weak ruler as the rulers wanted to see, be seen as a lion or a stallion jesus said go tell him he's a fox and he's basically saying i'm not going to be distracted from the powerful it's just not going to happen i've got he's god the son he's god in the flesh and the fact that they wanted to crucify him played right into the sacrifice he was going to make for our sins pretty you, you can't you can't outfox god period you know uh, so he said, I'll work today, tomorrow, the third day I'll be perfected. Well, he's probably referring to the, the resurrection after the crucifixion. But again, nobody was going to stop him. You know, I think that when we look at this world sometimes, and we, we see it in our own country, right? Um, 
you know, some of the way pro-lifers are being treated, you know, they're, they're praying and, you know, they don't agree with abortion and some of them have been um, charged by the government agents. There was actually a video I saw in England and people say, oh, that's, that's Europe. Listen, a lot of weird stuff that happens there is coming this way and I'm going to tie it in in a moment. But there was a woman who was standing outside an abortion clinic and she was far enough away from people going in and out and she was leaning against like a stone wall and she just was sitting there. She was praying, but she was quiet. Somebody called the police on her. Police come. They're actually asking her what she was doing. She goes, I just was being quiet. If you have to know, I was praying in my mind to God. They arrested her. Mind crimes, right? There's some weird stuff happening in this world. So... We, we're, we're blessed, we're fortunate in America, but our brothers and sisters across Africa and Asia and now Europe and a lot of these places, they're being persecuted for what they believe and they're not bothering anybody, right? They're not doing that. Listen, I'm not for uh, violence and, you know, I'm definitely against, and I think it hurts how we look when somebody attacks an abortion clinic or uses a bomb or something like that. I think that's awful. That's not what Jesus would have done, Right? So, and, and sometimes people who do it wrong make the rest of us, and, and then we say to ourselves, oh, it's not a good look for the faith. And what was that person thinking? But let me just say this. Talking about powerful people, I have to tell you that I've watched hours of video, painfully. And the reason why I'm saying it, because you might say, wow, what you're saying is hard to believe. So there was recently the World Economic Forum. How many people are familiar with that? Davos, Switzerland, where all the billionaires get together and talk about how they're going to save the planet. The irony and the hypocrisy is there was also video. There's no airport in Davos, so they took all their super polluters, uh, private planes. Over a thousand of them went to an airport. Then they had to go to, to a helipad and take helicopters and other major polluters, right, <laughs> to a place where there were limousines, large Escalades, gas guzzlers. So <laughs> there's over a thousand planes and there's all these people and they eventually get to this forum, how they're going to save the planet from us who use very little carbon footprint. But there is, uh, is they said that they calculated all the, you know, the emissions and stuff could have could have been equivalent to about 400,000 vehicles being used by average Americans in a year. But they're going to they're gonna save the planet, of course. So I think they're tremendous hypocrites, and you can dismiss them as wacky billionaires who have nothing better to do than have a God complex. But here's where it's dangerous. They have a, Pastor Vinny, both of us, we watch these videos, and this is mainstream media finally starting to report this stuff and criticize it. There's a Dr. Harari who's one of their doctors, and he speaks too. And he talks about reading Genesis. He talks about God, and then he talks about how we're going to be better than God, how we're going to cause this transhuman race where everyone has an implant. This stuff is real. This is really happening. <laughs> I watched Klaus Schwab do an interview, and he's reclining in this chair, and he say, it's going to be great when we have the the implant in our brains, and I can understand what all of you are thinking. I'm sure it's only going to work one way. So, because they're rich and powerful, right? They have a God complex. So they hate God. They're trying to usurp his position. And again, here's where the problem comes in. Some of our politicians were over there. People who are actively in Congress, former lawmakers, and the director of the FBI was there. 
That's really disturbing and inappropriate. Why are you rubbing elbows with these billionaires who hate the American way of life and hate the faith community? I mean, they have said it. So, you know, I, I, I got to say that, and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an imbalance, one party more than the other, but these powerful globalists have bought off a lot of our politicians. And I'll just throw this in there. Again, saw the video. If anyone has a problem with what I'm saying, I'm more than happy to show it to you. So everybody knows who Al Gore is, right? So he was interviewed and he said, it's amazing how they know so much about how our government works, even though they're not in it anymore. And he said the Inflation Reduction Act, he basically said, don't worry, there's millions of dollars in the Inflation Reduction Act to continue the globalist movement. Now, this is something I knew. You have 4,000 pages of garbage. There's some good stuff in there. It becomes a law. And then only afterwards do people actually read it and say, what do we just impose upon ourselves? So he was just talking about how we're going to get our way to the, to the United States, and we, ha we, have to, we have to attenuate it, right? This is all scripture. Right? This is all prophecy. The United States has to be humiliated and fall in line with the European Union, and everybody has to be equal there can't be any exceptionalism in the United States, and we're starting to see that happen. I've always said, and I'm more than happy to show you the scripture, that the people say, oh, the Antichrist, that's so antiquated. Well, what if I told you that he's a charismatic globalist who's very powerful and in politics right now? They have to have somebody that has to lead this. And I believe that the Antichrist infrastructure, his foundation comes in through aggressive globalism. It's totally anathema to anything we believe as Christians. So, am I crying in my milk? Am I depressed? No. Just, it just proves another multiple prophetic scriptures that are coming to true as we speak. So they're, they're going to make it happen. This transhumanism thing is, is kind of creepy. You think about the, the mark of the beast and the chip. They're openly telling you that they want to create a race of hybrid human beings. We have flesh, but we're all going to be implanted with this chip, and it's going to be able to control us, right? It is what it is. I, right, James? I joke around a lot. Uh, my personal life, it doesn't deter me, because I know God has a plan. So, I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, but hey, I'm also a realist, and I was in law enforcement. So, I worked for government. I worked with federal agencies. I know how government works. Um, yeah, you vote, but maybe do a little bit more homework on who you're voting for and see if they're connected with any of these groups. Okay, continuing on. <laughs> but just, just do it. Just keep, go tell that fox. Just keep going and be serious about what you believe and don't worry about the distractions. We're going we're gonna to hit speed bumps. Verse 34, 35, last few verses, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So four is resist resistance, I would say from religion or the religious establishment, when you read the Old Testament, you could see that God wanted Jerusalem and the Temple Mount to be such a sacred place. He instituted all these things, and over decades and sometimes centuries, it became corrupted. God, through Isaiah, Jeremiah, like a lot of these prophets, said to the people, this is bad, you need to stop doing this, it's blasphemous. And then God would 
remove his protective hand and let everything play out. Then the people would repent, he'd restore them, and then unfortunately they would do it again. What does that tell us about the human race is? We need a savior. We need intervention from God because left to our own devices, look at all the cultures and the empires and look what's going on in the world today, right? There's no hope except for, for divine intervention. And there will be. <laughs> so, so the uh, Jerusalem or the political religious establishment had taken on a corrupt um, you know, note to it and uh, even Jewish historians from the first century tell us the same thing, if you read it, and, they, and the ones that weren't Christians. Verse 34, the hen and the chicks analogy. This is well-known fact that if there's a barn fire or there's uh, danger and the hen can't get all of her chicks to, to go to safety, she'll spread her wings, she'll bring them all together, and they've actually found where there's been some fires that haven't been absolute, that the hen is is gone and uh, they would peel back the wings and some of the chicks had survived so great analogy jesus of course everything he does is is perfect jesus's desire was there to be a great revival in jerusalem and he wanted for the people's sake not because he had a, a big ego he wanted for their sake for them to accept him as the messiah but instead they crucified him so um, his desire was to, to protect spiritually, to, to nurture. These are the things that happened. And again, is, is any of this surprising? If Jesus came back in the flesh today and he walked the earth and some major, maybe large so-called Christian ministries or denominations and Jesus was pulling too many followers and taking away their hegemony over the faithful, don't you think they might have a problem with him too? Sometimes doing this becomes a business and it should never become a business and you see that there's enough stuff on the internet and some of these ministries where it's all about collecting money and and wowing people never saying anything negative and uh, they don't do weddings they don't do funerals they're untouchable they don't counsel it's just the money-making ministry so I the, the 2,000 years ago nothing would surprise me today um, Jesus not only prophesied his crucifixion, you didn't just go to the Romans and say, hey, um, hey guys, can you guys crucify me? They were crucifying a lot of people and they left that for the worst offender. So Jesus' prophecy, if you think about Roman history, you can't just knock on the door to Pontius Pilate and say, I want to be crucified. They'd be like, get lost. There's something, you know, something wrong with you. So for, G- for that to come true and then of course be resurrected was, was mind-blowing, Okay. Uh, in addition to that, Jesus prophesied a few decades prior that the whole Jerusalem system would be raised to the ground by the Roman Empire in AD, with the AD 66 through AD 70 Roman Jewish War, which culminated in AD 70. So these are things that maybe they didn't take a, a second thought, and then after it happened, they're like, wow, Jesus said that this would happen. He said, you'll see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this was um, something that was said at his triumphal entry, but the Old Testament prophecy in Psalms was actually meant for the Lord's second coming. So you see two fulfillments of this. Okay? So this is where we... Um, listen, Jesus strove for what? To die for our sins. Right? And honestly, if you don't believe that he died for our sins, you really need to dismiss him, dismiss him of somebody who is mentally unbalanced. Who would do such a thing unless they were really God the Son coming to die for our sins? 
So there's a book, uh, Lunatic, Messiah, or, or whatever. This, I know, I'm butchering the title, but basically, the you know, very famous author who basically said, if you don't accept what Jesus said about dying for the sins of the world, you have to dismiss him as a lunatic. Because nobody would do that. Um, and then as his followers, to follow him afterwards and be murdered by the Roman government, he really did rise from the dead. And there's a lot of proofs to that. So Jesus had a mission, but we also have to have a mission. And it's not to be stopped. In what? In getting closer to God, in growing, in understanding our spiritual gifts, right? We're not building an army here. We're building a faith system within ourselves, a relationship to hopefully affect people with positive outcomes for the kingdom. Oh, there's one thing I didn't read, and I'll just read this real quick. Warren Wiersbe in his book, uh, it's Be Compassionate about this. And it's so funny because he talks about the crowds who often would go to Jesus and say, hey, what about this person? Like all these third-party postulations, right? So Warren Wiersbe says, and he did a lot of things. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. He says, I sometimes receive theological letters from radio listeners who want to argue about predestination, election, and other difficult doctrines. When I reply, I usually ask them about their prayer life, their witnessing, and their work in the local church. That often ends the correspondence. I love that. He goes, too many professed Christians want to discuss these profound doctrines, but they don't want to put them into practice by seeking to win people to Jesus. It reminds me of the, the Bible scholar. The guy knows everything about the Bible, but he can't hold the relationship together because he doesn't apply what he's learned to his life. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, folks. So we're going to get resistance. And some of the resistance can be from our own flesh. Amen? But don't be stopped. And again, the more the world starts to have this meltdown as we see it with money being poured, thrown at every problem and nothing seems to get solved. You know, evil uh, increasing, right is wrong, wrong is right. It is only reinforcing all, all the things that the Scripture says. So our mandate is to not get distracted, to get close to Jesus, to win souls, and in the end, God will say when we come into His kingdom, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And I can't wait to hear those words. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions, or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.